Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I continue our look through the 2022 American Association season by looking at the Kane County Cougars. And what better person to talk to than right-hander Weston Muir. So, Weston, thanks for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me back, guys. So, Weston, let's just talk about, first of all, just, you know, you're a guy who's, who's coming out of college, playing professional baseball for the first time, and what was this season like for you transitioning from the college to the professional game and this, all the experiences and, and the whole kind of moving on to the next phase of your life? What, what was that season like for you? Uh, I guess, you know, wrapped up in one word, I'd, I'd say it was amazing. You know, I, I talked to people about this. Uh, you know, I have, have talked to people about this a lot since the season. And they're all asking me, you know, how it was. And I think, you know, my – my go-to answer is just that it was awesome. It was amazing. I mean, it was pretty much everything I expected. Uh, it was, I think, no better place to start my career because, you know, my teammates were awesome. Uh, George was a great manager. And, you know, the rest of the staff and everyone else involved uh, just made it a great experience for me. And, you know, coming off of college, I wasn't sure what to expect. And I think, you know, at least from a baseball standpoint, you can look back at the numbers and, see that, you know, when I was coming out of the bullpen, my first few appearances, maybe were a little shaky and then just kind of settling in took a, a little bit of time, but I think that's natural. And that was, uh, something that once I was settled and I started feeling great and, uh, just kind of rode with it from there. You have a, a phenomenal amount of success after joining the American association. Kevin was pointing out when we had you on before that, you know, your college career, you were having a lot of victories, and then you come in and go 7-0 and in the American Association. As you're transitioning from that, you know, the way that you approach the game as a college player to the professional game, did you find that you had to adjust the way that you were pitching to hitters, or how did you approach games in general and your preparation for games? Um, I, think, I think the main thing for me was when I came in, uh, just maybe not being 100% sure of what to expect, and just kind of having that reality check of, you know, my first few outings of being like, wow, this is, you know, these guys are really good. I mean, not that I didn't expect that, but like, you know, I was pretty confident coming in and then you kind of hit some roadblocks here and there. And, but the main thing for me was just uh, finding my confidence again and going out there and, you know, whether or not I felt like I belonged or felt like I looked the part, you just got to kind of embrace it. Right. And just, step up and as long as you you know bring your confidence and at least that's that's kind of how it's worked for me most of my career really is you know when I come in and I pitch with confidence I you know generally find a lot more success that way so I think just kind of settling in like I mentioned and you know finding my groove and just I guess pitching with confidence was really just the biggest thing because you know the competition level was notably better but I knew I could do it. It was just a matter of, you know, executing and uh, going out there and doing what I know I can do. In hindsight, do you feel like starting your stint with the Cougars, pitching out of the bullpen was the best thing for you and that you were gently broke into American Association as opposed to being thrust into the rotation? I think it was. And, you know, it's, for me too, looking back on it, it's it's more of more than just the, uh, the actual pitching aspect of it too. It was just being around the game at this level for a little bit longer and sitting with the guys in the bullpen and picking their brains and 
you know, just even the casual conversations that go on in the bullpen, you know, you, you learn a lot and you pick up a lot as a guy like me coming from a, you know, a D3 where not a lot of guys are necessarily discussing pro ball and like having that, you know, for sure goal in mind, like a lot of guys want to obviously, but um, I think, you know, a lot of these guys that come into this league are maybe a step ahead as far as the knowledge that they have of the, the level of play and the, the atmosphere there. Whereas me, I, I kind of came in, you know, obviously optimistic and excited, but also, you know, relatively clueless as far as a lot of the things go. And so I think, like I said before too, is that's where a lot of my teammates and the staff and everyone else stepped in because everyone was super welcoming and, you know, supportive of me. And so just having that kind of support system as well as the, just the, little bit of experience in the bullpen before getting into rotation definitely, you know, helped kind of ease me in. And I got to test the water a little bit and kind of just build off that. I was in well, the I, fall for your start against the Canaries. I believe that was your first start. Correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, it, it does, yeah, does, was, that, that was my first official start. Okay. It was I'm sure pretty helpful that the guys put up a lot of runs for you that day and helped you get through that first start and get your feet wet in the rotation. Yeah, of course. Um, Obviously, run support is always appreciated. And, you know, if you look back at the games I did start this year, um, there was was a handful of them that, you know, I I gave up three or four runs and uh, the guys always just rallied back and, supported me and put up more and ended up getting wins out of them. So you can't really ask for much more than that as a pitcher. Just your guys always having your back, not only in the field, but at the plate, you know, comes up huge in those situations. You know, based on the word you just used, uh, I, I have to wonder if 7-0 and with a 3.77 ERA is being a little clueless about what's going on. What, what are you going to be like when you've really figured it out and are, are pitching here in the league? Well, I think, you know, I, I was more more or less referencing my first few weeks on the team and just being around the league uh, for the first time and kind of, you know, that, that initial experience, mostly on the bullpen, um, just kind of developing a feel, I guess you could say, um, for, you know, just the whole the whole thing, the whole situation, the, the new level of baseball, the different competition, guys from all over the place with different stories and you know, I came from a place where I had pretty much the same set of teammates for, you know, three, four, five years. And coming into that, I mean, not that other people don't have that same experience, but um, it was definitely, you know, eye-opening getting into it. And then, you know, as the season went on, I felt like I definitely uh, settled in and kind of had more confidence as the season went on. How did you like the experience of Kane County? I mean, they're a new franchise in terms of joining American Association Baseball. Fans kind of getting their feet wet as well as in independent baseball. So how did you feel was the, the crowd and the experience of playing in front of the largest crowd on average in the American Association this season? It was amazing. Uh, I know I've used that word a couple times now, but uh, it really was. It was it was awesome to go out there on pretty much any given night, have, you know, a few thousand fans in the stands on a random Tuesday night is a pretty cool feeling. Um, whereas, you know, nothing against the other teams in the league, but a lot of the other places we went just weren't drawing crowds like that. Um, so 
you know, <clears throat> having those fans around and just the atmosphere at King County is amazing too. The the field's great, you know, just I, I can't really say enough about the, you know, the whole setting there. And so uh, that was definitely, you know, a huge part of it for me too is I, I felt comfortable there, so. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 2022 season. Uh, the team has a big run down the stretch, winds up nearly coming away with a top record in the uh, uh, East Division. Then because you're not the top record, you, you get stuck with Cleburne. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's uh, unfair to say nobody really wanted that long drive. So how did you guys approach that when you knew you were going to wind up having to open in, in Texas to start the playoffs? Um, I think, I think we handled it pretty well, honestly. Um, <clears throat> as a team, you know, we, you know, those weeks leading up to playoffs, you kind of discuss every, you know, just the, the chatter that's going around. And a lot of us were kind of expecting to have to do that anyway. Um, and I guess that goes along the lines of like prepare for the worst and then, you know, expect the worst, but then you're not disappointed if whatever happens happens. And <laughs> so, I think coming into that, it it wasn't necessarily a huge thing for us. Like, obviously, the drive is not ideal, and um, you know the the travel associated with it. It's kind of a pain, but I think from a mentality standpoint, we went in there, you know, just fine, and uh, weren't necessarily too worried about it at that point. It was just coming down to the game of baseball. So. Was that on your guys' minds in that last week as you're trying to battle Chicago to get that top spot? Uh, it definitely was. I mean, you know, ideally we would we would have liked to come away with the top spot and then kind of be in the driver's seat. But, um, you know, we, we played our hardest, and I, I felt like we went on a really good run. And, you know, there's certain things just don't fall the right way. And, uh as a whole, I think we went in that week, you know, like I said, great mindset, and we were playing really good baseball. So it was just unfortunate in the end that we weren't able to take over that top spot and get our own pick. As you said, great run down the stretch there. And, and so what is it like, you know, Kevin and I, I should say, have got to see a couple of these George Samus runs when he was manager in St. Paul. The, the 2019 championship, the, the team put together a great run like that. So was your, when you're a, a guy on the team helping to contribute to that and watching this go on, what, what is that experience like for you personally? It's fun. Uh, and, and, again, it's kind of just using one pretty simple word to describe something that's kind of complex, I guess. Uh, but that's really the only way I can describe it. It was, it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, when we're winning games, guys are – all rallying around each other and things start clicking, whether it's early season, mid season, late season, it's, it's a great feeling. And for it to be, you know, leading up to playoffs like that and knowing, knowing what was ahead of us, I think, you know, things, things were going great for us and everyone kind of had the same attitude. Everyone was looking forward to it. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Now, as you head here into the off season, uh, Obviously, a lot of expectations on you after the kind of year you had last year. So, so what is your off-season training like in preparation for 2023? Uh, my main goal is to uh, get stronger, um, keep my arm healthy, 
and, you know, potentially develop a few other things pitching wise. Uh, but my main thing, and one of the things that I've felt like I can always improve on is my, my weight and strength and all, you know, all the things like that, that kind of are the foundation for not only throwing harder, being a better pitcher, but also just staying healthy in general. Um, so that's my main goal, just working out, um, getting stronger, gaining some weight. And, uh, you know, from a pitching development standpoint, that stuff will all come a little bit later this off season, but, um, you know, just already being in the weight room almost daily, you know, diligent on that. And then, uh, just, you know, rehab type stuff from my arm, keep it healthy going into, you know, staying in this little break period before I start throwing again. And then, uh, you know, just kind of building off that, uh, going from there and getting ready for the season. It has to be a change. This is your first time as a pitcher where you haven't had to go to school during the fall and winter. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a pretty big change, but at the same time, it's one that I have welcomed with open arms because, uh, one of the things, um, you know, having been at school during this time in the past, uh, I felt like, you know, kind of limited, uh, my ability as a pitcher to, to kind of that freedom of doing things that I needed to, to keep my arm healthy or get stronger in the ways that I needed to specifically. Um, and just kind of, you know, developing my own program that, that works for me because, you know, no, no two athletes are the same. No two pitchers are the same. And, you know, you get, you get in certain situations where things are catered to a very generalized, you know, all pitchers do the same thing. All position players do the same thing. Um, and, you know, off-season strength programs, stuff like that throughout the college level. And so I think the, the big change for me is kind of being able to really pick apart the things that I need improvement on and the specific areas that I can really, really develop and, you know, attack those right away and just spend the off-season, you know, individualized, doing things that I know that I need to work on and know that I can improve greatly on. Um, so... So, yeah, I, I'm actually very excited about that. And, you know, obviously not having to do schoolwork is kind of a bonus, too. <laughs> now, with your program, is that something that you develop on your own, or is there somebody with the Cougars um, advising you on what you should work on, or is there an outside person that helps you with that? Uh, it's kind of a a conjunction thing from a few different sources. Uh, I've spent some time at the Texas baseball ranch in the past. Um, so I'm drawing on some stuff that I've gotten from them before. Um, and then there's also a local place here, not too far away from where I'm living this off season, um, that, that has some great resources for me as well. So between those and then, uh, working with a physical therapist and then also, um, just kind of doing my own research here and there, there's, I mean, the internet's a great place for, um, for, you know, baseball related stuff, as long as you, you know, pick your sources wisely. So kind of like picking from multiple different sources. And, and like I said, kind of making a thing that works for me based on specific things from each of these different sources, you know, building something that isn't just, you know, one cookie cutter program, but is kind of, uh, drawing from a bunch of different sources. I found that to be uh, a, a really good way to go. Now, do you have to change your workout routine? You pitch more innings than you have in any previous year because you're continuing on from college and going to the pros. So 
do you find now that you're training you're training differently because of the fact that you know you're going to have extended work in the summertime heading forward yeah i'd, I'd say i'm training a little bit uh harder but i think you know that that comes with just the the next step anyway and like i said kind of having more time and freedom to do this i've pretty much devoted all my energy so far this off season just to <clears throat> staying healthy and getting stronger um you know like i said not having school work and all these other things that i was used to having uh kind of bogging me down i'm you know able to like i said devote all my energy to this one thing and i found that to be you know the, the pretty nice advantage of this um this whole thing just kind of having that flexibility and um, be able to dedicate to my craft a little bit more than usual. Now, does that change? I mean, does, like, do you change in terms of the goals that you set for yourself now? Or like, are, are, like you were talking about, you wanted to add a little more weight or strength or something. So are you looking to go, I want to be eight pounds heavier, I want to be have two miles an hour more on my fastball. How do you approach the training to make that kind of a quantitative uh, approach, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Sure. I mean, I guess to simplify, uh, my my main two things coming out of this season were, um, like I said, gain weight and velo, you know, are, are some things that a lot of pitchers will probably tell you. But for me personally, it was, you know, somewhere between 10, 15 pounds would be nice. And then, you know, two to three miles an hour, which I think were both attainable uh, for me. And having this, like I said, this newfound kind of freedom and flexibility, I think, you know, being able to put more time into it, um, those were both things that I've, you know, kind of had in mind for a while. Um, and, you know, just having been, you know, training, working out for like a, a month or so now, I'm up anywhere between five and seven pounds, depending on the day. And so, you know, those goals are already starting to kind of kind of change a little bit. And I think, you know, as as this offseason progresses, I'll definitely be kind of, I guess, uh, maybe manipulating those goals a little bit to to keep myself going. You know, maybe if I hit one of them earlier than I think, then, then I see what I can do. And, you know, I'm just going to try to keep pushing myself as much as I can the next few months, so. Well, if you're looking for 10 or 15 extra pounds, I'll happily share some of mine with you. If I, if I can help out, Weston, I want to want to look out for you here. So if that benefits you. That'd now, be looking awesome. forward to 2023. <laughs> so do I, believe me. Looking forward to 2023, do you see yourself back in a Kane County Cougars next, uniform next year? I do. I, you know, that's that was kind of, uh, as the season wrapped up, that was something that was discussed. And, uh Given that the the uh, the club has my option for next year, uh, it was kind of you know up to George to decide that, and um, we've already kind of been in touch this off season, and um, that's that's my plan for right now is to to return to King County. So, have you kind of been seeking out opportunities in affiliate ball? Have any of the scouts or teams talked to you at all about potentially joining a club out there at some point for next year? Uh, nothing direct yet. Um, I mean, I've I've had contact with kind of like I guess like third parties and stuff in the past, but um, nothing nothing direct to me. No. 
Now, looking back at the time at your at Whitewater, I, I, let's talk about that a little bit because I don't think we discussed that much with you. Kevin and I mentioned we we've known Robert Coe there for a little while, but what what was the kind of the experience at Whitewater for you? Uh, traditionally known as a big football school, but you were you were telling us it's become quite a baseball powerhouse as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, since. 2005, uh, two national championships, 05 and uh, 2014. So um, there's definitely, you know, a, a, some transformation there going on uh, as far as, you know, being known as kind of a baseball school too, I'd say. And uh, just, you know, looking at my four seasons there, crazy good record all four years, you know, always had the expectation of going to the World Series and just kind of, we all knew it was attainable. It was just a matter of, you know, certain things coming down to the wire during regionals, super regionals, whatever it was. Um, but, I mean, the overall experience there was amazing. Uh, you know, great baseball program, great place to develop, uh, great place to go if you want to win a lot of games, basically. I mean, you can pretty much go there any season and have a crazy good record, um, and you're always going to be surrounded by a great group of guys. Um, Coach Bo over there does a great job of, you know, not just picking the best nine players, but also picking a group of guys that have character. And um, that showed, I think, both on and off the field. Now, is college baseball on the Division three level the same as Division one, where the games are primarily Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with a doubleheader one of those days? There may be certain places that uh, operate that way, but for us up in the WIAC, we were uh, on a – doubleheader Saturday and doubleheader doubleheader Sunday schedule. So we would play four games in two days. Um, and then, you know, it was a little different after COVID, but before COVID we would also play um, one or two midweek doubleheaders as well. Because, you know, wow. the shortened season up there uh, with the, the awesome weather we would get up in Wisconsin um, would kind of, I think, dictate that a little bit because our – our regular conference season wouldn't start until, you know, the, the first week of April, and we would c compact all, you know, 30 or so, however many conference games we would play into pretty much that one month. So, Did you have a set role as, did you know, like, you were going to be, like, perhaps um, the game two starter every Saturday, or did that vary as the season went along? Um, after my freshman year, uh, I, I pretty much had a set role my, you know, sophomore, junior, and uh, senior seasons. Uh, freshman year, I was out of the bullpen, uh, got, you know, I don't know, maybe like 15 innings or so, somewhere in that area, just kind of getting that experience. And just like it was coming to the association, coming into the college level from high school was quite the adjustment, too, even at the Division three level. You know, Whitewater's super competitive. A lot of guys go in there expecting to – to kind of just be the guy right away, and then they realize that it's a lot higher level of baseball than they expected. And so uh, for me, just being able to get some experience my freshman year was awesome. And then um, I was the third starter for the weekend series, um, like third out of four, I guess, uh, sophomore. And then um, junior year, I was interchangeably the one or two with uh, our, our left-hander solely. And uh, then, you know, my senior year, I was – I was the number one pretty much every weekend, Saturday first game. So uh, it was it was nice to be able to kind of get on a, a routine each of those years. I mean, besides freshman year, but uh, once I was in the rotation, it was, 
it was pretty nice to have a pretty consistent uh, schedule of throwing. You know, with those two double headers on a Wednesday, the, the double header on a Wednesday, and then two double headers on the weekend, how do they work out your pitching schedule? Would you just start one of those six games, or could you start Wednesday and then start Sunday as well? I think there were a couple times where we would have our uh, one and two throw, like if, if the doubleheader fell on a Tuesday, they would maybe go Tuesday, Saturday, just with like shorter work on that Tuesday. Um, but it kind of just depended on the situation and who we were playing. A lot of the time I felt like it, it came down to those midweek games, maybe not being conference games and, you know, us being pretty deep pitching wise, we would always have kind of a, a couple guys that, were on hold that could start games out of the bullpen. Like they, they had the ability to be starters. They just weren't in the rotation yet. Um, so guys like that, a lot of the time would kind of fill in those midweeks. And then generally we'd keep the same four guys every weekend. I didn't realize they started that way. That's pretty interesting dynamic to the games. Did you enjoy that many double headers or is all seven innings or all nine innings? How do they work that out? Uh, they were all nine innings, um, so it was. They were some definitely some busy weekends. Uh, but I don't know. I, looking back on it, I think one of the things about that is that it just it just went by really fast. You know, before you knew it, after like a couple weeks, you're already halfway through your season. And you know, we talk about it a lot at Whitewater. We play for May. We play for the the postseason. And it, it, a lot of the time, it was like you get back from your spring trip, and before you know it, you're almost there. And so. Um, I think, you know, and, and that's kind of how it has to be up there with the weather and, and some other circumstances, which I understand. But um, I think, you know, if it was spread out a little more and more of the traditional kind of Friday, Saturday, Sunday schedule, then maybe it would have been different. But um, I, I, I didn't have any problem with it. I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of a unique cir circumstance, but it was nothing that we couldn't handle. Now, I think Wisconsin is interesting in the fact that it doesn't college baseball doesn't look like it's as big of a draw as some other states around the area. Minnesota has a, you know, a pretty solid uh, baseball program in the, in the college ranks there. And uh, it, so it is, I mean, is Wisconsin, Whitewater, do they have a challenge in trying to recruit guys because maybe there's not that kind of reputation or the school itself has built such a solid reputation that it's easier for them to recruit. Uh, I think, I think they do just fine recruiting. Um, and especially in recent years, I've noticed kind of a, you know, a, an, an increasingly kind of upward trend of, of being able to recruit not only a lot of the best talent of Wisconsin and surrounding States, but also from some other places too. Like uh, we've got guys that have came from, you know, New York, Colorado, California, like different, like a, a little bit further than you might expect. And I think that speaks to not only the, the winning tradition, but also just, you know, we have the best facilities in the state as far as college baseball goes. Um, or at least I would, you know, I would, I would put my money on that. And then, uh, you know, the location being, somewhat central to also kind of that Chicago area and having a lot of that kind of slip through the cracks type talent from that area, maybe. Um, and, and also the fact that Wisconsin doesn't have uh, a D one program other than Milwaukee. And, you know, 
Milwaukee may not be the best fit for everyone, and so they see Whitewater with with a, a winning record almost every year and, and equally as nice, if not better, facilities than the D1 that's 40 minutes away. And, and you know, I think that appeals to a lot of people. So That's fascinating. I, I, I wonder then, is you had so much success this past season. Has the school, have they, you know, kind of heralded that? For, you know, man, look, we got a guy playing professional baseball that came out this year. He's already playing pro ball right off the bat after graduating. Um, I honestly haven't noticed much uh, in the way of that. I mean, uh, baseball-wise, I know the the coaches and staff and everyone involved with the baseball program specifically has, you know, kind of been sharing information about it and stuff like that. The school itself, not necessarily. I mean, we've had a tradition of you know, not only being a winning team, but also, you know, having a, a guy every couple of years or every, you know, almost every year that I was there, we had at least one guy that was able to go on and play professionally right away. Um, and so I think just kind of, it's almost just normal for them maybe at that point to see something like that happen. Whereas, you know, some places don't have that luxury. So we're not going to see uh UW Whitewater, Weston Muir, Bobblehead Day at all? Uh, not in the near future, at least. Hopefully someday. <laughs> we better get one, Weston. Kevin, you better get one for Kevin and myself. So we want one of those. So I'll make sure I stockpile those things if they ever come out. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we were talking about, uh, before the show actually began here, about uh, the possibility of playing winter ball and, and your future plans kind of thing. And uh, So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts about some guys like the winter ball is a great opportunity to play overseas, but there's always that talk about um, giving your arm a rest. So being a new professional, I know it's kind of a different situation, but wh- what are your thoughts about wanting to play winter ball and kind of augmenting that with uh, not – wanting to work your arm too much? Uh, yeah, so I think I think winter ball is a great opportunity, and I think you can see that right now. There's plenty of guys from the Cougars that are, that are actively playing and uh, doing really well and enjoying it, and, uh, and I think that's awesome. I, you know, looking forward, I definitely want to get into that at some point. Uh, just this year wasn't the year for me to do that. Coming off of the you know the college season going right into the summer with the Cougars and then kind of after all was said and done having pitched more innings than I ever had in a single stint in my whole life uh I I just felt that it was necessary for some rest you know it was in my best interest to just keep my arm healthy and not try to overdo it more than I already was and um you know I think that's just something that comes down to balancing you know your your career aspirations with your health because there is no career without health. So um, priority number one is, you know, keeping my arm healthy. And for, at least for this winter, I felt like the best way to go was just to take some time off, get to training right away and use the time to get stronger and be, you know, hundred percent ready for next summer. What I think is pretty impressive, Weston, is the fact that, combined between Whitewater and uh, King County, you had like a, a little more than 142 innings pitched 
in this day and age, that's a lot of innings, it seems like, in a single season. And so that almost twice as many as you've had in any previous previous season. Did you find yourself being a little fatigued as the Kane County season is moving along? Or what was the arm strength like for you as you're getting into August and early September? Uh, I think it was kind of just up and down. Um, and I think that's kind of what happens over time with pitching. You kind of get into grooves where everything's kind of clicking and, you know, whether or not you've, kind of hit your hit your limit yet or not is maybe not determined yet but then you know you find yourself just kind of catching a second wind at some point and I know you know somewhere along the way probably my you know fourth or fifth start I definitely was starting to feel it a little bit and uh you know just the general soreness and and fatigue and stuff that you would probably expect after that many innings but but there was also kind of at the same time a kind of a second gear that I was able to find I felt like and kind of work through that and be able to, you know, kind of just finish off the season and maintain what I had, not necessarily, you know, doing anything above and beyond, but just kind of, kind of riding it out. And then, you know, that, that served as a good transition into the off season to just make sure everything goes well and stays healthy going into the next season. Now, is this a, a situation too, where, where George Samus is coming to you and saying, look, Weston, you're only getting five, maybe six innings tonight because I need to keep you going on and, and keep that arm strong. So were you understanding coming into games that you may only go six innings at most and then he was going to turn the game over to the bullpen? Yeah, um, that, was, that was something that I discussed with him and uh, Freddie, our pitching coach. Um, we, we talked about that a little bit, kind of going down the stretch that they were going to try to start, you know, waning off a little bit and not, not going quite as deep into games maybe. But um, thankfully that was, like I said, right around that same time that I was starting to kind of find that second gear and I was able to pitch a couple games uh, a little bit deeper than normal with a lower pitch count. So that kind of lined up really well for me that I was able to have the success I did at that time because it was definitely a little bit more limited workload that I was getting. I'm glad you guys bring this up because one of the questions I had for tonight was we saw in the recently completed World Series a pitcher for Houston had a no-hitter and was pulled after, I believe, six innings. Weston, if you're in a spot like that and you got a no-hitter going after six innings and the manager's saying, hey, you did a good job, we'll turn it over to the pen, how are you feeling at that point? Do you does one part of your mind say, well, yeah, okay, let's do it for the team, but does the other, does the competitive side say, come on, I want to keep going? 100%. I mean, there's always going to be that, that competitive drive, that competitive spirit, and I think any pitcher that tells you otherwise is going to be lying because, you know, when you're out there and you've, you've got that going for you, I can only imagine, you know, what, what the feeling is, and so – you know, there'd, there'd definitely be that side of it, but at the same time, I think, you know, having the discussion in the dugout with the manager, pitching coach, whoever, and, you know, realizing, okay, I'm already at 90-plus or 100-plus pitches. We've got some guys in the bullpen that are going to go out and shove. Like, let's back off and, you know, watch this thing happen. So I, I think there's definitely some opposing forces going on there in your head, but um, you got to be able to to step back and not only just 
you know, trust your bullpen guys, but also just kind of realize that it's the best thing probably for your health at the same time. Well, let's take you into 2023. It looks like you're going to be back in Kane County. Team has a disappointing end in the playoffs. What's the feeling like around this clubhouse when that last pitch is and ends the the first round playoff series? What is this team thinking? What do you guys feel like for next year? What What are you looking for? What What's the motivation for you guys right now? Uh, you know, the, at the moment, I think we were just you know a little bit disappointed, underwhelmed because uh, we knew we could do more than what we did, and you know, it's just one of those things, kind of like what I experienced at Whitewater, where we we had every expectation of going all the way and we knew we could do it. It just didn't happen. And so I think moving into next year, we'll just be able to build off that. Just knowing the feeling of not only being so close, but knowing the whole season and especially down the stretch with how we were playing, knowing that that's totally capable and, and we are, you know, we have the ability to do that. Um, So I think just kind of having that experience for, you know, the guys that do come back and having been there and uh, knowing what it feels like to be so kind of just disappointed by how things panned out, um, I definitely think we'll we'll be able to use that as motivation for next season. What is the feeling in the clubhouse? Do you believe a lot of the guys will come back next year feeling like there's unfinished business, or could we see a, a lot of new faces as we – are accustomed to seeing in this league year to year? I think there will probably be a good mix. Um, you know, m- most of the guys love King County just as I did. You know, it's as far as the association goes, it seems like the place to be, if not one of the top places to be. And, you know, between the fans, the staff, the, you know, just the other guys that were there, it, it was a great experience. And I think a lot of guys shared that. And it's just a matter of, you know, how things play out throughout the off season, whether or not guys will come back. I don't know if it's necessarily a, you know, a, a Kane County thing, but um, it's probably the same way league wide anyway. Um, but I think, you know, the guys that do come back, like I said, will have that kind of little bit of spark just because we knew that, you know, we were better than, than how we finished. And so uh, being able to start fresh with a clean slate, I think will be a big thing too, is just being able to get back out there. This could be a very interesting starting pitching staff next year. Vance Worley could be retiring. Uh, Ryan Tappany may not be back. Fuentes may not be back. I mean, it could be you and Jack Fox here that we're looking at at the top of the rotation there. Are, are, you, are you the guy wanting game one to be the opening starter for the club? I would have no problem with that. But that being said, Jack Fox is also totally capable and uh, with a little bit more experience and you know, time on the Cougars and me, I, I would totally understand him getting the nod. But at the same time, you know, I think him and I could be totally interchangeable parts, and it's just a matter of, you know, who's getting the ball at the time. Well, if you get us that Weston Muir bobblehead, we'll we'll push on George Thomas to make you the opening day starter. <laughs> I appreciate Is that. that. <laughs> totally. Well. How do you feel about 2023? What, what's your personal motivation for coming up this season? Just continue to play the game I love. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I couldn't think of a better place to have started this, you know, this pro journey than King County. Everything 
uh, everyone and everything kind of treated me really well. And so um, it's been a great experience so far, and I'm just looking forward to continuing that and, you know, looking forward to also being a, a better pitcher than I was last year and continuing to just to just play as long as I can. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to keep playing a kid's game, so I'm going to do it as long as I, as long as I physically can. So we just had Halloween, Weston. Uh, tell us, scariest person on the team. Who was the scariest Kane County Cougar in 2022? Jimmy Kerrigan. <laughs> really? Why was that? Why was that? He's, he's just an animal. Uh, not much to be said about him. He's just, you know, great guy, but, but not someone I would want to be on his bad side. <laughs> well, that's interesting. All right, well, now we know something new here. Right on. Well, Weston, we appreciate you joining us tonight, but you're a veteran now, so you get to know you get to give us a final thought heading out tonight. So the floor is yours. Um, shout out to everyone at Whitewater, and um, I'm enjoying the off season, and I'm looking forward to next year. Fantastic. Weston, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks, guys. Well, Kevin, great having uh, Weston Muron and fantastic guest and excited to see what he has to bring to Kane County next year. He, he's become a favorite of mine. I, had, I always like finding that rookie in the league that comes from, you know, not like a Division One power, not a guy that pitched in the College World Series, but somebody that, that pitched in a Division Three school and – he doesn't have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. He doesn't, you know, he's not a not an arrogant personality. He's very humble. And it's fun to watch someone like that go on and have success, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in the 2023 season. You know, kind of a comparison, a lot like Alex Boshears in in his days in the American Association, a guy that, you love talking to and would think just the nicest guy, but once he gets on the mound, it just totally focused on the game. And uh, that reminds me a lot of Weston. So uh, big find there for manager George Samus, and we know he's got to be excited about that. Well, Kevin, let's talk about, first of all, before moving on to other news around the American Association, let's look back at Kane County for a moment. Second year with George Samus as the manager, first year where he had an entire offseason to build a team, and clearly the results were there. The team was spectacular and really got better as the season goes along. Another tribute to what George does as manager. Uh, they became one of the my favorite teams to watch because, you know, they didn't have the big names like Kansas City or Fargo did. They just – Samus went out, got guys that could play well, and – Wherever there were weaknesses, he went out and addressed them. And it was like the team was always a work in progress. But, boy, I thought the finishing um, finished product was as good as any team in the league. Jimmy Kerrigan, named by us as the American Association Player of the Year, a guy who came in late after being released from the Minnesota Twins organization. And I thought carried this club for – you know, everything but the last three weeks of the season. You know, this was Jimmy Kerrigan and, and you know, a cast of eight other guys a lot of nights. And, and, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. He was just such a, a huge force in that lineup. And 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got another opportunity in affiliate ball, but boy, what a great find that was for George. It definitely was. And I think that that Minnesota Twins pipeline through the St. Paul Saints that Sam is, has is going to prove to be even more beneficial to him this year coming up than it even was in 2022. I think that's a very good point, Kevin. And I think this is going to be a situation where George is not only going to be able to use his Rolodex of other agents and teams to talk to, but the, the Minnesota Twins organization is going to be good to him because he's, you know, he's looked upon as a favorite within the organization and clearly a favorite in St. Paul. And uh, Jimmy Kerrigan was a huge addition, as was Jack Fox, named by us as the Rookie of the Year this past year, and uh, went and led the American Association of Victories with 11, with Weston and having seven victories and seven decisions. And you really can't ask for much more if those two wind up being at the starting of the rotation next year. It's definitely a uh, start of having a very good uh, ball club. Well, here's an interesting question for you, Kevin. You know, you have a Vance Worley, who was a vet and, and looks like he's retiring. Ryan Tappany could very well not be back back next year. That was another veteran. Let's say Jimmy Kerrigan is not back next year. That's three of your veterans. Looks like George is going to have at least three, if not all, of his veteran spots available here in the offseason. It opens up the the door for, for George, and he's been great about getting those veteran guys as in during his career in the American Association. And so I, I think we're, we could see a potentially even – I'm going to say even five game better club next year than what we saw this season. It's going to be interesting to see what he can do with that. And like you said, you know, in 2021, things got going kind of late, but he had a good batch of players to choose from for his 2022 team and enough time to work with. And you have to realize too, though, that some of these guys on the team, I don't know offhand, but you know, as uh, have some of these guys been around long enough where they're going to be considered veterans. So there could be guys that are LS five guys for this team that may end up filling vet spots. So, but even get a lot of this team back, I'm just kind of scouring their stats right now. There were some guys that had some pretty dang good seasons with Dylan Busby, Cornelius Randolph, Ernie De La Trinidad, along with Jimmy Kerrigan, and uh, Josh Roulette was a guy they knew they could um, put behind home plate and play some first base. Mitch Nay was a – and Nick Franklin both were really good um, veteran-like um, late-season adi- additions to the club, so – you know, as I, we were talking with Weston, if they bring back a lot of the guys from last year, I think you're going to see a pretty dang good ball club. But, boy, if you throw out and sprinkle a few veterans into the mix there, Ed, I think um, I think it's going to be an exciting ball club in Geneva. Yeah, absolutely. Especially add two vets into that starting rotation next year to go along with the two no longer rookies. One rookie, no longer a rookie for Jack Fox technically next year. Um, I think you could have quite a rotation out there. So that Eastern Division is going to be very tough again next year, and we'll talk more about that as we get closer to that, but uh, to see the 2023 season getting underway. But should be a very competitive division again, and we're expecting Kane County to be right in the thick of that thing there. So um, we always like George and always think that he's doing a pretty good job out there. And so 
expecting big things out of him as always, Kevin. I took my first trip down there this summer, and I have to say, it's, I'm just impressed with the whole operation all around. I think between the on-field product and the staff in place in Kane County, everything is just so professionally ran. The the people are great to be around. It's just a to me, I think it's a pretty ideal franchise for this league. I could not agree with you more. From the person, and I'm, I'm gonna. I feel bad because I did not remember her name, but who has um, always kind of helped us set up things when Kevin and I have needed information or guests or whatever has worked with us. Joe Brand is spectacular. Their photographer Brad is fantastic as well, and so it is a first class organization. Got to meet their GM not this past year, but the previous year when their first season came up and chatted with me for a little bit. And uh, this is just a, a, a great place, great location, fantastic ballpark. And they went first class when they went with George to start out with. And so they do things right in Kane County, and you can't argue with that at all. No, I, you know, and that's the thing. It, it just, uh, my first trip there, I was just amazed with just not just the ballpark but just the area in general it's hard to believe you're that close to chicago it just you know i spent some time in downtown geneva and with the fox river running right through it it just had had such a nice peacefulness to it and i mean i can't say enough about the time i had there and i I'm really looking forward to going back this season. I think the one thing we got to figure out, though, Kevin, is I don't know what the official great food is in King County. I mean, like you go to Milwaukee and you get milkshakes and things like that, but I, what, what's the what's the official food to King County? Did we? Did, I, I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. Remember, they got the atomic pork chops. Oh, okay. There you go. See, so I missed out on that. So, okay, so uh, that's that's what I got to go for next. For an atomic pork chop night, I hear there's. There's a few varying types of atomic pork chops, so I'm going to have to do a trip next year and make sure that I'm there on a weekend for an atomic pork chop night. I'm liking that. Does that mean it's going to be super spicy? Well, you know, why it's atomic? If it is, you just got to make sure you got a bevy handy to wash it down with. <laughs> right on. Let's talk around news around the American Association. We'll come back here in just a minute to talk about the schedule for next year, which came out last week. Let's talk about some big uh, news around uh, player transactions. And to be honest with you, Kevin, from my personal standpoint, none bigger than Logan Trowbridge deciding to retire. Uh, You know, Logan Trowbridge was just an example of what this league means. Um, He started, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, with the Salina Stockade. Was it in 2017? So he experienced an entire season on the road there and then settled in in a nice position with the Cleburne Railroaders. Ended up um, during the COVID year with Milwaukee, and he stuck there for the rest of his career. But he's a name that um, anyone that follows the league became quite familiar with. And I want to say, talk about a guy who put his team ahead of his own personal goals in line. Now, every one of these guys wants to get to affiliate ball, eventually play Major League Baseball, and Logan is no different. But Milwaukee comes to him, and when he came to Milwaukee originally, they they were offering him the opportunity to catch, which he knew was his pathway 
to a Philly ball. I mean, he, Logan can play anywhere, and, and he's proven to be exceptional in every one of those spots. Great outfielder, moved to third base in Milwaukee, became one of the top third basemen in the league. But he, he was going to Milwaukee because they were going to give him an opportunity to catch. And Anthony Barone talked to him about, look, we need you at third base. Now, a, a lot of guys could have said, this is my pathway to affiliate ball. You need to catch me, and that's the only place I'm going to play. But Logan did what was in the interest of the team. And a complete character guy. I, I've come to love this guy. I, I find him to be uh, just a person who is who's so in love with wanting to play the game and wanting to help his team win that he would do whatever, including standing in his own way of, of potentially getting to affiliate ball. And I, I have no no greater respect for somebody in baseball than that guy. A phenomenal human being, and and uh, you will be greatly missed, my friend. I just want to say so. That's my soapbox for tonight, Kevin. Let's talk a little bit more about other stuff going on around the American Association in terms of transactions. Uh, and we were talking about Jose Fuentes with King County last season. He goes to Sioux City to complete that transaction that sent Nick Franklin uh, to the Cougars earlier in, I believe that was August, if I remember ke uh, correctly, Kevin. And uh, Fuentes had quite a season for the Cougars, so he should have, be a big addition to that Explorers rotation. I think that's the big arm. I, you know, as we're talking to Steve Montgomery, he thought the team was going to be a lot younger next year, but he went out and got himself a pretty experienced arm with um, Fuentes. Now, obviously, as we know in this level of baseball, it's a matter of does Fuentes want to play another season? So we'll see what happens in there if Fuentes does indeed um, see himself in Sioux City next summer. King County does exercise the contracts on a few guys, including C.J. Carter, Galley Cribs, B.J. Lopez, and Weston Muir. Uh, Weston um, talked to us here on the show about expecting to return next season. Uh, B.J. Lopez has been a great addition behind the plate for this team. Galley Cribs was fantastic in the infield for them, and C.J. Carter pitched well for them this past year. So uh, George is already looking out there to kind of build this team a little earlier, Kevin, and, and so he's trying to bring the bring back some of the guys that helped to lead this team to the American Association playoffs last year. I think he recognizes that there's a good nucleus of guys that he is um he's obtained down there and I'm sure he wants to keep the culture um intact. In Milwaukee, Keon Barnum has his contract exercised by Milwaukee. Now, I'm going to assume that that means Keon is returning. I mean, if, if he wanted to play somewhere else, he would be playing somewhere else, okay? And this is a guy with a veteran experience and, and could ask to play anywhere, go to the Atlanta League or whatever. So his contract being exercised, I'm believing, is the team saying he, he will be back in uniform next year. And a healthy Keon Barnum is, is as dangerous as it gets, Kevin. And now that we've seen his stolen base prowess, too, I mean, we could be seeing yeah. a guy, we could be seeing a 30-30 guy in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Two contracts exercise for Fargo-Moorhead. That's a big deal. John Silviano and Leobaldo Pena, two of the best hitters in the league, two of the scariest hitters in the league. And, you know, John Silviano seems to be getting better each of the last few years, Kevin. I'm really excited to see what he has to offer this year, uh, leg injury and all. Boy, it, it just doesn't get any tougher than what um, Silviano was able to do in Game 2 of the championship series. Um playing however many innings on a broken leg. I, 
that doesn't tell you this is a guy that will do anything for his team. I don't know what will. And like you said, you know, he has been in this league since 2019, and it seems like every season the stats keep getting better. So it's been a nice progression for Silviano as he's matured in the league. Yeah, that playing on a broken leg, that that's Stanley Cup playoff lore there. So we're going to have to have John on just to talk about that, I think, one of these times here. Uh, a big contract uh, option that I, I'm, I'm excited to see, Kevin, because we did not get to see him play this, se- this season was uh, Oswaldo Arcia, Arcia uh, was signed by Cleburne but could not work out the visa aspect. So we're going to actually, I think, get to see him in a railroader's uniform this year. Well, that'll be funny. You have to wonder what impact he could have had on Cleburne this year if he would have been able to play with the railroaders. You know, that would have been a huge bat in the middle of the lineup. And granted, you know, the railroaders did have a good lineup, but boy, if you throw a guy like Garcia into the mix, it could have been really interesting to see what he could have brought to that ball club. Yeah, put him and Zach Nerrier in the outfield together. That's as good as it gets right there. So two great defensive outfielders as well. Uh, Gary exercised the options on a number of their players, as many teams will do, where they will uh, take 18, 20 guys and put uh, um, exercise their deals. Uh, the most exciting ones I think we're going to look out of here, Thomas Wall-Raven will likely be returning there. Um, same with Daniel Lingua. And both of those guys had huge seasons. Excited to see what they have to offer. I did not see in this list, though, Kevin. Oh, okay, so Sam Abbott was exercised as well. So the first 20 home run hitter in Gary South Shore Railcats history. And uh, so I, I, manager uh, Lamar Rogers, you know, got a lot heavier more power-laden lineup this season, Kevin. Uh, could we see 110 home runs out of Gary next year, do you think? Well, you can never say never, but it's good to see that um, Rodgers is getting a good base of players developed there and, you know, something that he can build a ball club around. And I'm really excited to see in his second year of the league um, what kind of a team he can put together. Well, let's talk about the 2023 season for a moment, Kevin, now. The schedule came out last week. Josh Buckholz feverishly bursts out a pencil and and uh, a number of sheets out there and gets it all together. So the season will begin on May 11th with three games, Winnipeg traveling to Gary Cleburne, heading to Sioux Falls, and Fargo-Moorhead traveling to take on Kane County to open the season. Um, I don't know how much time you have spent perusing through the schedule. I've not spent a, a huge amount of time myself, I will tell you, yet. But as you look at this schedule coming out on May 11th, I think we're starting, I believe, one week earlier than we did last year. Am I right about that? Did we begin on the 18th or something? It sounds like it's right around the same time as last year. Okay. Okay. So maybe I'm wrong about that part. But um, your, your, your initial thoughts on the schedule at this point? My initial thought on the schedule was leave it to the league. They know we record our show on Monday. They come out on Tuesday and say, we're releasing the schedule today. So <laughs> now instead of us, last week being able to break down the schedule, we're a week behind in talking about the American Association League schedule. So a little miffed at that. 
they always have to leave us a day late. On the wraps for another six days. What would have that hurt? At least, at least Saturday. They could have waited till Saturday. You know, a couple of days for people to digest it, and then then hearing you and I popping in for that. So, um, as as they've traditionally done the last couple of years now, I'm going to call it traditional, even though it's not really. You know, two years is not much of a tradition. But Mondays is the light schedule. Um, as uh, most of those nights, they're going to have. Uh, days off during that time. Some teams will have there's like one or two games scheduled most of those nights. The biggest one is on the 29th of May where they have four games scheduled. So that'll be a fun guest night for us to see who's available at that point. But that should be pretty cool. Uh, and I believe that we have a All-Star game on July 17th, 18th, and 19th. Uh, interestingly enough that nobody will also play the day after the All-Star break, which I think is a change from previous season. I thought some some teams got back on the back in the games right away after the All Star break this last year. Am I wrong about that? I think you're wrong on that because I okay. think what happened was there was a lot of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series following. You're the right. All-Star. You are right. Now that I think about it, so see that's why we have Kevin on correcting me for my errors. So, um, so that'd be pretty exciting. Uh, we have not gotten an official place. I'm going with either Kane County or Milwaukee, Kevin. I'm going to throw that out there right now. I'm going to, even I'm going to put money down on Kane County. That's what I'm going to say. Kane County is going to be where the All-Star game is going to be this year. I think that's where the smart money is. If there was going to be somewhere west, I could see Fargo putting it on up there. But I, I'm thinking Kane County or Milwaukee just following the success of Chicago last year and how geographically close that was for so many teams in the league. So... I can see either one of those two markets um, getting it. I think that that's the smart pick out there for them, too. Uh, Just as you mentioned, Chicago wound up being a huge success, and I think part of that success was the fact that teams could trap. You know, Milwaukee had uh, Van came out there, and and you had uh, the mascot, I believe, came from Lake Country, and you had fans from all over. There were people wearing Gary Southshore jerseys. and So, I mean, that's an exciting thing, and I think putting it in a place like Kane County allows a lot of fans from the other four teams in that area to come out there. So that should be exciting. Cleburne continuing the six-game homestands this year as well, Kevin, um, which we're not, I don't think we're the least bit surprised by that. But uh, they have a... a, a a big stretch of home games in August, which I think really gives this team an opportunity that if they're right in the thick of the race, they should be able to, to make some damage, do some damage there. So pretty excited about to see what Cleburne can wind up doing this year, and we'll talk with Brad about that at Christmas time. I, I think that's it for American Association. Kevin, let's take a quick perusal around the other leagues out there. And by quick, that means an unprepared uh, – perusal around the other leagues out there. Uh, let's first of all start out with P.J. Phillips, named as the New Jersey manager, uh, coming in for the Jackals. Of course, that's the spot where both George Samus and Joe Calfrey-Pietra cut their chops, so to speak. So congratulations to P.J. out there, and he's got uh, some, some big shoes to fill out there in, in New Jersey because of how much success they've had over the years, Kevin. No doubt about it. It's going to be an interesting season out there, too, um, playing in the Hinchcliffe Stadium, which has been sort of in the middle of a firestorm as to how the availability of the ballpark is going to be when you got high school and 
professional baseball going on in May. In the Atlantic League, uh, Nathan Lyons, name, I'm assuming that's Lyons. It could be Leones, I guess. So my apologies, Nathan, if I'm saying that wrong. The new owner of the Lexington Legends. Uh, this is a team we talked about last time that was uh, going through some changes out there. So we're trying to figure out exactly where they're going to wind up being coming up here pretty soon. But um, new owners out there, so let's hope that, that that helps to resolve some of the situation and um, keep this team rolling forward. Uh, as you and I talked about last week, I don't think it made sense to buy a team that was folding, and there was kind of a discussion about that, but um, I think that, that this looks to solidify the club, so good for them out there. Uh, and then there was a big thing out in the Atlantic League talking about Josh Miller got to appear in the World Series, a former Atlantic League player pitching out there. So congratulations to Josh to getting the big big show out there. So good for him. And I believe that's all of the uh, independent news because the Atlantic League has not come out with their schedule yet. So we have two of the, the three big leagues are, are done in terms of independent baseball and for schedules for next year. So we just wait on that one. And that's it. That's the end of the show, Kevin, except for the best part about it, Kevin Lucas' final thoughts. Well, I'm left you totally unprepared for this, but I think it's been a hot topic in professional sports, and I would be remiss if you and I didn't um, also opine on it. We've always said American Association and independent baseball in general is a second-chance league. Am I correct? Correct. Well, let's focus on the Boston Bruins and uh, signing of Mitch Miller, who, for those that don't know the story, is an ultra-talented player, but as a 14-year-old, he relentlessly bullied a mentally disabled child, and that has basically come back to haunt him. As Miller was drafted by the Coyotes, but due to the bad press from what happened in the past, the Coyotes passed on him. The University of North Dakota, a hockey power, also uh, on the heels of that said no thanks to Miller coming aboard to North Dakota. Well, now the Boston Bruins had decided to sign Miller to an entry-level deal. And after the major firestorm after that, the Bruins have rescinded. Now, I see both sides of this. I have a stepson that's autistic. And I could see where if there was somebody bullying Nicholas, I would be, I would, I don't know what I would do as a stepfather. I would be irate. I would, you know, you, naturally father beer you would want to club the person that did it senseless but by the these teams all passing on miller and the nhl even gary bedman just flat out said as of now he's not welcome to play in the league what kind of precedent are we setting here is there a moral code of conduct that a player needs to be able to make a living playing in sports the NHL is a league where Danny Heatley recklessly crashed a car and killed a teammate. 
Danny Healy was never blackballed from the NHL. Granted, I don't want to compare bullying a child, bullying a developmentally disabled kid to killing a teammate in a vehicular homicide, but I just think it's uh, where do you draw that line? Well, what's considered okay? He can play in the league, and no, he can't. I just think the NHL is going going down. Uh, into a situation where uh, basically they gave gave in the cancel culture, and what is the what's the criteria? What does Mitch Miller as a person have to do to prove that he can play in professional sports? Granted, um, the family of the the child, the victim, feel like uh, Miller hasn't um, sincerely apologized, and I get that. You know, they're upset about it because it sounds like the child's still affected but what's the league going to do are they going to establish a criteria of what he has to do in order to qualify to play in the nhl to me it's just a tough situation all around but i think the nhl has made it tougher by essentially blackballing this guy for life your opinions rob that is a very interesting discussion there, Kevin. And uh, um, so let's first of all start on the premise of he's a kid too, okay? And and I I, I mean, I don't know about you, Kevin. I I didn't – I went to De La Salle High School in Concord, California, a very big powerhouse in, in high school football throughout the country. We didn't have issues with bullying and that kind of thing. Players didn't act like they were the big stuff on campus or whatever, at least when I went there. Um, so you don't have those kind of things. But a lot of places, football players can be jerks in high school. I don't think anybody would deny that at all. Okay, And, and, as, and I'm not just singling out football players. I'm sure there are wrestlers that are you know think that they're the – the top dog at the school and baseball players and basketball players and everything else. Okay. So, uh, th- that, that kind of stuff goes on. And, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying to single this guy out and decide all of a sudden he's the worst thing that's ever come out of high school sports ever seems a little over the top to me. And, um, I had an interesting discussion and I cannot remember what his name is to be honest with you, but, I believe it was four or five years ago, there was a young man who came out of high school baseball that had been accused and pled guilty when he was like 12 or 13 of inappropriately touching his niece. And according to him, he had, um, you know, for the good of the family, he didn't contest this. You know, he he didn't think that this was, you know, was going to come back to haunt him. He wound up becoming a, a... a person who got associated with Oscar Suarez and played in Mexico because he could not play in the United States because college baseball programs and Major League Baseball decided to blackball a 12-year-old, you know, once he became an adult. And I thought, well, that's a little over the top, you know, um, that you're not going to give this guy a shot. Even independent teams, I know, decided to not give this guy a shot. Okay, and he had a lot of talent from what I understood. So Oscar told me that he had to head south of the border to go play baseball because that's the only opportunity he would get. And I'm a guy who believes in second chances. That's my religious belief, as well as um, a person who's been given second chances and things for for myself, because I've made bonehead mistakes myself at at, at times in life. And so um, 
for me personally, Kevin, I, I am a, a person who believes in mercy and uh, opportunity. If, if a person demonstrates that there is a desire to be a different person from where they were before. So I don't know that I don't know um, Mitchell at all. I don't I don't know what what his what he's like as a person. I I'm bothered to be honest with you, Kevin. By they the apology didn't look sincere because I don't know what that means. You know, I mean you know sincere apology. Uh, who knows what that means? Um, so I I don't I I'm not a, a big thing. But if, if let's say if this young man just said, hey, look, I'll I'll I would like to help out this person that I've hurt and bullied. You know, that was really stupid of me. I'd like to take 10% or 20% of my contract and help him out in life and make him a better person. I, I'd be all in favor of that, but they're denying him the opportunity to make a difference. I don't know if he's offering that, but, it, it, you know, that could be a way that he could make a difference in the life of this person who he made uh, a lot more difficult for their life. So um, it sounds like a complicated issue in the fact that we don't know as much details, but, you know, Man, blackballing a kid like that, you know, for for kid mistakes later on, and then just deciding you're never going to get an opportunity to play things seems a little over the top to me, Kevin. It's basically you're denying him a chance to make a living in what he does best. Well, exactly. granted, granted, you know, he'll there. It's not ideal right now, obviously, with what's going on in the Ukraine, but he's a good guy that could go over and play in the KHL and make some money over there, or obviously there's always some Swiss leagues or leagues in Austria, Germany, Finland, Sweden, anywhere he can go over and play professional hockey, but it's just not the same as being able to perform in the National Hockey League. And I just hope that there's a good end game to this because, like I said, the NHL, I think, put themselves in a precarious position where They've just flat out said he can't play, and they're to me it seems like they're kind of choosing what's acceptable and what's not acceptable i'm not I'm not saying what he did was acceptable, but I'm saying there's uh, also some guys that did some pretty heinous things too that it never affected their pro career. You look at um Craig McTavish committed vehicular homicide, served a year in jail. He never was suspended. Kept playing hockey again, and now he's he's still involved in hockey. Michael Vick, exactly. You know, he, he he was involved in in you know dog fighting, and you know the guy came out and and you know went to jail, came out and and uh, got right back into his NFL career, and and you know and I thought rightfully so. You know I, the league um, gave him an opportunity to become. A role model for what a, a, what a business or or an organization can do to help a person get back on the right pathway, and you know the situation with the baseball player that I was talking about, which I thought was was really short sighted and stupid of the organizations, is whether well, you know they're worried about what what this kid might do. I mean, let's let's be realistic about it, Kevin. Th these guys are watched twenty four seven by the club in their first four or five years. You know, they, they don't get to do anything on their own without somebody supervising almost anything that they do. Because clubs are worried about stupid things they're going to do. A veteran guy may get away with stuff more often because, you know, they could say, hey, look, I've, I've been in the league 10 or 12 years. You're going to leave me alone. 
But these younger guys get monitored all the time. Everything that they do is, is determined by the club for the most part. And so if you want to try to help somebody to get on the right pathway and ensure that they're doing things in the right way, professional sports is probably the best, or even college sports is probably the best way to make that happen because there's so much supervision over them. So, you know, I, I think that's the short-sighted part of it, to be honest with you. I know um, the Miller's agent or the, the company that's in charge of this, some sports agency, uh, they've listed the things that Miller has already done to try to become a better person too. But, you know, I, I repeat what I said earlier. What's, what's ever going to be considered good enough for the NHL? Well, it sounds like from what you said, the answer to that is nothing. So they will never be satisfied with anything because they've been told you, you can't you can't accept this guy no matter what. And now not only is he not doing anything for himself that, that he could do, but now he's not in a situation to help anybody else. And it is I mean, think about it. I, I think we've all come across people in our lives where they took some a very dumb mistake on their part and turned that around into making it into something where they significantly helped other people. A guy is a drunk driver and winds up killing somebody, and then they wind up doing all kinds of work to help people avoid drinking and driving and provide counseling and that kind of thing so that they don't make the same kind of mistakes. Or a person who's involved, you know, addicted to drugs and helps people that are battling that themselves. I mean, there's, there's countless stories that you could come out out there. And I, and I don't know this kid. I don't know what, what, you know, what his goals are. But as, like you're saying is that he's, he is trying to do things to make better. Why, why don't you want him on the right pathway to continue to do those things instead of shutting him down? And now he can't do anybody any good at all. And I, I know it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't diminish the message, but if he's working to become a better citizen, and let's say he goes to these schools, and talks about um, anti-bullying and how he was a bully once and how he regrets it, it's going to be mean a lot more coming from an aspiring NHL player than it is coming from someone that got blackballed. You get blackballed, yeah. like, it's just going to make you bitter. Yep. And what good is he going to do anybody then? Yep. And, and what's the message you're sending to the next kid who might have done something dumb? Okay, now if this is the standard, then what's the next standard? You know, and, and, and let's face it is, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old young men make a lot of mistakes. Okay, every one of them. Okay, every one of them. And not, some are not as high profile as others. But everyone makes the mistakes. And so it is, it, it, I think we've gotten away from being merciful, unfortunately, Kevin, so... I would say that's a great final thought though, Kevin. I like that thought a lot, a lot. And I think that's something that people should consider out there because it's easy to be judgmental and it's easy to say, crush somebody down and it's easy to say, punish and destroy someone's lives. But, um, it's a lot more impactful to put out your hand and help them get up and become a better human being. So yeah, that's well, what I, I mean, would say. With your paying job, that's what you're doing, I believe, right now. How many, how many people have you talked to that have gone in the, down the wrong path and are trying to rectify and make something of themselves? 
literally thousands. That's not an exaggeration. So literally thousands. Probably I probably close to ten. Ten thousand at this point I would probably say. So um and you know and not everybody you know makes it. Some some fall down and, and make the same mistakes over again or find themselves trapped in something else. But I would honestly say that ninety something percent of people that I've come across and, and worked with or just talked with or helped or whatever, um, are out there doing fine. So um, it would have been easy to turn around, walk away from, but that's not that's not the right thing to do, I'm gonna tell you. So Gary Bettman, lame. And call it out here today. And I, you know, and and you know, as you starting this whole thing out, American Association Baseball started independent baseball started as a second chance. It, and it wasn't just a second chance for players. It was a second chance for managers and coaches and general managers and presidents of clubs and even owners who didn't have much success as a minor league baseball owner or some minor league owner somewhere who got another opportunity to, to own, you know, and yep. have turned it into something. Let's look at Mike Vec blackballed. Yeah. Dale Strawberry blackballed. And those became oh. two of the biggest names of guys that were able to get that second chance in independent baseball. And, you know, Mike um, did end up working for the Detroit Tigers for a little while and just found it not to be his thing. But I think there was, I think going to independent baseball proved to be a sort of great redemption for Mike Vick. Absolutely. And look at turn the St. Paul Saints into one of the most memorable and no, noticeable organizations in professional sports, not independent sports, in all of sports. So uh, you cannot – Ben, it's, it's just easy to, to say somebody's wrong and a horrible human being. So it's it's a lot more human, though, to give a person another chance. That's my thought about it. I don't want people like comment on this and say, well, geez, Kevin's comparing, comparing Mike Vec to a, a heinous high school bully. That's not the point. The point no. is we're talking about second chances. We're not talking about what caused someone to need one. Yep, exactly. And again, this was a kid. I mean, let's keep that in mind, too. Kids do really stupid things. And I'm not saying those are right. I'm just saying they really do stupid things. So um, I think if all of us looked back into our teenage years, there would be some things we were not particularly proud of. Um, and we're glad that either we didn't get discovered or that somebody looked the other way or gave us another chance to redeem ourselves. And, um, and so I would just say this is an opportunity for this young man to get that kind of chance. And, you know, I... What, what, this, again, this situation is doing nothing for any – nobody's benefiting out of this. So the league looks impressive because they were tough on him. Well, Okay, well, that, I'm not impressed. So that's what I would say. Good thought, though, Kevin. I like it a lot. And, we'll, and, and if you do have thoughts about that, please come out there on Twitter or, or Facebook and tell us about it or share it with other people out there. Tell Kevin and I how dreadfully wrong we are if you believe that. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We're not afraid. So we'll, no, we'll it's, take always a, good, it's always good to have a good dialogue, and I believe you know you and I have just had a very good discussion about this without being overly judgmental of anybody, well, other than the NHL. <laughs> um, exactly. But I, I, believe, I believe we brought out good points on each side of the issue. 
Exactly. We love to hear those out there and share them with us. Just don't call us too, that tell us that we're too stupid. You know, I mean, we're used to being told we're stupid, but, you know, have some mercy on yeah, us. I'm, about. Otherwise, the final thoughts from now on will just be me telling dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once again, we want to thank Weston Muir for joining us here tonight. For Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We will see you next week on This Week in the Association.